Welcome to Mac and Cheese episode 55. I'm Mac Mail. And I'm Graham Hicks, in which uh, every week we look at lively topics happening in our own backyard and let's say across Canada, but mostly we love Edmonton and Alberta. Yeah, we like to know if there's something else happening around our country or province, how does it impact us in Edmonton? Exactly. And aren't we lucky to be so blessed where we are, even if oil at this current point's at $47 a barrel, which is pretty darn scary. Anyhow, we're not going to talk about that today. We're not going to talk about budgets because uh, when we're recording this, is just before the provincial budget. That'll be a topic for probably upcoming. Yeah, but we're we going to wait till we know something about it, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can oh, speculate you mean forever, but... You know, but it would sound pretty rotten if we did that and then everything turned out to be completely different 24 <laughs> hours later. So, hmm. Make uh, us look good if we got it right, though. <laughs> That's how some journalism careers are built. That's true. Someday, son, I'll tell you stories about being the right guy <laughs> on the right side. Look forward uh, to it. Okay. We were thinking about uh, Lori Blakeman has now become the MLA, and she's made a deal not only with her own Alberta Liberals, but with the Greens and the Alberta Party to be the one candidate in Edmonton Center. So I think this might portend some very interesting things. Topic number two, we're going to talk about this uh, debundling. The CRTC is now requiring uh, all the cable carriers across the country to debundle. What are the implications there? And I think the devil's in the details in that one. And the last thing we're doing is, uh, again, we always relate everything back to Edmonton. We like to be a little smug from time to time because we need to rationalize our existence here. But a very, <laughs> very interesting blog story called The Decline of Vancouver. But it was not written by a hard-bitten, cynical journalist, you know, whatever. It was written by the president of a software company who's been in Vancouver for a long time, very, very bright guy, a little bit of a, maybe a, apocalyptic in a sense. So that'll be an interesting one to talk about. But it caught your eye. So it sure be, did. And, be and given the flood of information that we all go through to have something caught your eye, catch your eyes is always interesting. Definitely. So first up, Lori Blakeman. Lori Blakeman, is this the beginning of an actual, real, serious consolidation of the center-center-left parties of this province? They've been without power at all since the early 80s when Lawrence Decor came very close and I think in the first rung of the Ralph Klein era, the first go-around, had about 30, 40 seats and had the campaign not quite, it was a little bungled in the beginning, uh, we could have had a liberal government in the early 80s. Ever since, that party has gone down and down and down and down. Last couple of terms, they've had, what, four or five MLAs? Right. And just haven't seemed to have got any traction. At the same time, you saw the Alberta Party start to come up, which had some fairly serious political brains behind it. Um, but again, it's it really hasn't gone anywhere in the last two or three years. Not a lot in the success column, but lots of good thinkers and passion behind exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. But compared to, if you look at Wild Rose being to the slightly further right of the center right of the of the conservatives, far more success on that right. further right side than on. Does that just bespeak the political climate of Alberta? Of course it does. But if Laurie does this groundwork. And this would not have happened if everyone wasn't agreed that, yeah, it's time. I mean, these things are much deeper than just one MLA standing up and doing this. I think Laurie has probably been working on it for a long time. She's probably, probably four or five people from all three parties are talking seriously about, we got to get together. And here is the first little bit of that iceberg poking its way up. 
I would suggest to you that uh, we might see after the next election or even before some fairly serious merger. And if a true leader emerges, which has been the great problem, the great pol problem of politics in this in this province, frankly, has been the lack of leadership in politics. But if we get another decor or we get someone else like that that comes along that really pulls together the liberal point of view, there could be a liberal government one day. So you're not a fan of Dr. Swan, I take it? <sighs> he's an interim. Yeah. You know, he's an interim. There might uh, Don Iveson after his mayoralty career. Nemshki down in, in Calgary. I mean, they're, they're sort of the two leading lights of the center-center-left. Who knows where that'll go? I think both of them, Nenshi and Iveson, are happy to be mayor at the moment. Laurie's yeah. thing, I'm not so sure. So you think it's an iceberg? Yes. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean, we, uh, as I mentioned to you off air, we, we talked with her on our AB Vote hangout show that we're doing now on abvote.ca, and we asked her about this, and I guess it came off more as she's just doing this to take some sort of action. The way that we've been going is clearly not working, as you've pointed out. She wants to try this and see if we can do something different, and she's hoping to inspire some other of her colleagues around the province to maybe try to do something similar. But it did really seem to come from Lori rather than the parties. So That's how all these things start. And now everyone in those parties is watching with great interest. The pot has been stirred. Mm -hmm. uh, you always float a few trial balloons in politics. The if the reception is pretty strong, it will lead somewhere quickly. Yeah, I mean, you I could like even see the NDP getting involved. That well, would actually, be a first. We asked her about the NDP, and she said they basically are have no interest in partnerships. They think they can be the alternative without joining forces. So. That mm. was we did ask her why the NDP weren't at the table in the yeah. Edmonton Center, and that was the response basically. I get, but I think both both what she's saying and what I'm talking about here are not incompatible. Yeah, you're right about the NDP. That's always been a fascinating one that they've always forsaken pragmatism for principle, right? And they have a very strong leader at the moment in Rachel Notley. Yep. Right. So, yep. but they've always been they don't feel comfortable with the libs. Right. And imagine if. Uh, Imagine if they actually got it together, because look what Preston Manning did with the Reform Party merging with conservatives, bringing back a party that maybe the hard the hard folks in the Reform would never have agreed with, but now the conservative point of view and its philosophy and everything it does has been in power in the country for eight years and has been able to take pretty deep roots philosophically in so many ways, right? Yeah. Which is what drives liberals crazy. Yeah. Right? And But imagine if, if the left here in Alberta could do the same thing. I wouldn't like it too much. <laughs> I like living in the least taxed jurisdiction in North America. But I don't be, know why everybody else doesn't. But it'd be very interesting. Okay, so since we're about Edmonton, how, do you think it's significant that it's an Edmonton Centre MLA that took this first step? Well, it just makes sense. I mean, Edmonton Centre has always been a a left-leaning, always the downtown urban ridings always are. Yeah, you know, so, or they uh, have been. Yeah, and Laurie's been around a long time. She's a fairly astute political person. She wants to make, she wants to leave. I think everyone who's in politics are in it partly for the public service of it, partly for their egos, but I think she'd like to leave a legacy. She wants to make a difference, I think, and she made this announcement not long after the success of, I think we can call it that for her, Bill 10, right? So she had yes. pushed Bill 202 and... Bill 10 came in, yep. and when they finally passed it in this very short sitting, you know, it was, her star it was chucked has up gone as a win for her. Her star has gone up. Yep. 
good for Lori. So it was a good, really <laughs> interesting timing to make that announcement after she had just had a whole bunch of press for for Bill 10, right? But now, boy, this is how short my memory is. Did she run for the liberal leadership? Yes, she did, and didn't make it. Now, how can you how can you lose for the liberal leadership? <laughs> I don't know much about how the Liberal <laughs> Party in Alberta works at the moment. So, okay, interesting topic. Uh, maybe it's a seminal shift. Yeah, maybe it ain't. So she had some predictions about other people around the province, and it'd be interesting to see if any of those come true. But hmm. I think more mergers could be quite interesting make it very interesting in Alberta. We always have very short memories electorally. We always think of Edmonton as being, well, it's been conservative for the last few times out. This city has swung back and forth. We've even elected, we elect federal NDEers. We've elected a couple of them. We've elected a lot of liberals. Yep. Lots of things can happen. Absolutely. So, if they get their act together. Topic number two. Topic number two. CRTC has recently sort of said to all the cable companies, uh, you can probably correct me here, is it a directive that they must debundle? They can stop this ridiculous business of, of you only have a choice of taking these 10 stations or these 20 stations, which always include at least 10 stations you couldn't care less about, mm-hmm. right? But if you wanted to get those stations, you had to pay for the whole bundle. It was a wonderful way for, for uh, small Canadian companies to to not face the fact they had no audiences and therefore shouldn't exist because they were subsidized by these things. Uh, but now they're saying, okay, you you cable companies, you have to offer these as a uh, pick and pay, right? Yeah. Tick off the ones you want and you're going to pay X amount for them. So I think uh, we'll, we'll link in the show notes, obviously, to the appropriate CRTC page. But I think if I remember correctly, they're doing this in two phases. The first phase is they have to have these small bundles of like the core basic channels. Right. And then the full-on rollout, which I think is by the end of 2016, mm-hmm. you need to be able to do the pick and pay. That as an option. So I think it means you'll have both. You'll have right. packages to choose from and you'll have pick and pay if that's more your flavor. Or they'll grandfather in if you can't be bothered to change come 2016. Uh, it'll just stay the same unless you make the proactive move of saying, I wish to move over. So what do you think? Would you switch? I am fascinated by the devil in the details here. If I'm running one of those companies and my job is to make money, well, yep. who's to stop me? TSN and Sportsnet, everyone loves following hockey, et cetera, et cetera. Could they get away with charging? Like your basic bundle right now is around, I think I'm paying, what, 50 bucks a month for my, my cable. That's pretty good. And starting to wonder if I really need it. Uh, but what if they, you know, if you wanted to sports channel, it's going to be 10 bucks. If you wanted... Uh, What's the one that does Sportsnet or whatever? Uh, the, the big, the big Hollywood films, the mm. Netflix. You could get up. They could make a whole pile more money in SoCal. So you could be up to a hundred bucks a month just for your TV if well, you picked enough channels. This is what ESPN does in the states, right? I think they account for a significant chunk of the cable fees that go out because that's the channel that everybody actually wants, right? Mm-hmm. They want ESPN. They don't care about the twenty other channels you get in the package. So they do. do pa- I don't know the American system at all. They do do packages as well. They do packages as well, yeah, yeah. and and it, the channels get paid. You know, they negotiate the fees and they get paid whatever their cut is. And my understanding is that ESPN is quite large, yes, uh, compared to some of the other channels, right? And I think they have an ESPN one, ESPN two, ESPN three. If only uh, they had the Ocho, ESPN eight. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I think. But what? <laughs> this is from Dodgeball. Have you ever seen that movie Dodgeball? <laughs> they make fun of the sports I'm networks. Sorry. It's it's a nerdy thing, buddy. It's pretty funny. <laughs> okay. Um, 
I think it could be good if all you care about are three or four channels, because then you could walk away paying less than 20 bucks. Yeah. If you watch more than that many channels, then maybe a package is going to be a better deal for you. I'm sorry, Mac. I think this whole thing is overshadowed by the technological re revolution that is uh, real-time TV off the web. That whenever you want to get any show, there are so many, if you're, if you're smart at it or you check with your grandchildren, they'll tell you where to go to find these websites. Some of them are legal, some of them aren't. I just can't see how regular TV can compete. Yeah, I mean, it's sports is the only thing that really sports. you want to watch live, right? Everything else, it used to be a, an event when it was on at 7 p.m. and everybody you knew was watching at 7 p.m. It's not really that way anymore, right? It's time shifted or on I think demand. Perhaps for maybe four or five shows. I mean, uh, like you know, Dancing with the Stars or The Voice or those kinds of ones. Yeah, the, maybe, there's right? always going to be the the coffee the uh, around the cooler coffee break talk at the office. Did you see such and such last night? Yeah. It's, but it must be down from 70%, 80% of the viewing audience to 10 or 20. Oh, it has to be. I mean, yeah. scripted shows, dramas and things like that, people watch when they want to watch it. Either they've PVR'd it, either they've downloaded it illegally, they've gone to Hulu. Yes, or as well, I think maybe you get the four or five big, big series that proved to be huge hits. I mean, uh, uh, Game of Thrones, Downton Abbey, the ones that within their target markets are so popular that people can't wait to see them. So yes, they... They will get. They will watch at a certain time. I mean, it certainly makes HBO and uh, Netflix and AMC and those ones that really focus on that content angle look pretty good because they get to drive the agenda a little bit, right? I can't see that in 50 years' time we'll have this system. I think it'll all be gone. What do you think it'll look like? It'll be all be web TV. Everything through the internet. Everything through the internet. It works. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's already it's working for most people. It's disruptive technology. So I don't know if it's actually cheaper. I think I probably spend more on media now than I ever have at any point because Why? I've got Netflix, I've got Xbox, I've got you can rent movies on YouTube. Like if you want to legally get this stuff, you're paying for either multiple services or, you know, per video or whatever. It adds up actually. And it's so easy. You could just, oh yeah, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Hmm. You're not, if you're not careful, you can spend quite a bit on content. Movies, music, books, whatever. Hmm. I won't make any cracks about legal. <laughs> <laughs> of course, if you go to BitTorrent, you can get whatever. Okay, <laughs> so the general consensus here is uh, I still think we're watching the death throes of an industry as they go through all these mechanisms. Uh, also, but the, the one thing that really bothers me is news content and how getting back to the old conventional media, we no longer have a way to, to pay people like my old job to be, make the same salary as a teacher to be an investigative reporter to try and find out what's really going on. If we lose all that, I don't know how we replace it, and no one's found the revenue model yet. But it seems like that's a different problem than yeah, your I guess television so. yeah, problem, Yeah, let's not right? talk about today. Yeah, We've only got 20 minutes here, man. All right. This Vancouver story caught my eye. The, the what's it called the death of decline Vancouver? of Vancouver the, the decline. decline of Vancouver not okay. quite death but decline of Vancouver right I guess because uh, the writer who's a blogger but also is not just your typical kind of blogger but is a a, a thinking person uh, the president of a software company in Vancouver so is very much in the economy and uh, I would argue knows a lot more of what he's talking about than your average journalist has pointed out that. The essential premise is the Vancouver economy is false, is hollow. It's based on being a beautiful place to live, 
that has become a haven for both international and rich Canadians to buy property to such an extent that the prices have been so driven up that the middle class, the kind of people that are the backbone of Edmonton, cannot afford to live there if they did not buy a house 30 years ago. So let me read just a very small section to illustrate what you've got here. He says, recruiting talent to this city is easy, but retaining it is not. He says, while Vancouver has an initial charm and beauty that draws in talent, eventually as that talent ages and wants the kinds of things most people do, like a house and a family, many can't afford to stay and leave for places like Seattle or the East Coast where the cost of living is lower and the salary is higher. Kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Very interesting. Other things he notes that if you go down to Yale Town or some of these very fancy places, mm -hmm. that the street life is not close to what it should be given all these high-rise condo towers around them. The reason for that, he says, is that 40 to 50% of those towers are bought by people but not occupied. They don't live there. These are globetrotters. Right. And uh, it's, as he says, once again, a false economy. That if you were lucky enough to have bought a house there in the 80s, your house appreciation is going to be somewhere around 60000 a year. You're likely making more money out of your house appreciation than your salary, which is fine and dandy if you got in 30 years ago. But the reality right now, as he suggests, is that there's almost a surf, surf to, to the Lord relationship, that the Lords are this incredible 5% of their population, which is coming from you know, a lot of Oriental big money, that these things that you and I don't even know about these people. I mean, yeah. they, live, they live in a, a different level than we do, right? Sky uh, palaces. Sky palaces. <laughs> people that just have more money that think in the thousands when we think in the hundreds. Sure. Yep. Uh, that, and I agree, the Vancouver economy is a very weird thing. It, it's, it doesn't have, we, we in Alberta have got a real solid economy. I mean, yes, it's, it's too much based on resources for our liking, but we create real wealth that comes out of the ground. We create all kinds of other wealth around it. We have a thriving middle class. And here in Edmonton, if you want to buy a house, say at $400,000, if you have two professionals, it's not that difficult to do. Definitely doable. Yeah. And this, it just kind of, this, this, this story kind of lit out a couple of light bulbs in my head. Like, you know, those reasons why we stay here. Why is this a very settled city? Because you can do these things. You can raise your kids. It's a, you know, a, what a great place for families, despite this long, cold winter. You can have it all if you're willing to forsake the climate. And you can afford more because the cost of housing is not so bad as it is in Vancouver, yeah. I guess. Is this why, I guess this is why Edmonton and Calgary are the two fastest growing cities in Canada, right? Because people can actually afford to move here versus, say, Vancouver, where you're saying it's getting out yep, of hand. Part of the, and there were jobs. To, jobs is a big part of that, uh, yeah. If we still have jobs, I'm getting a little worried about, but we'll see in the next two to three months. Um, but that 80000 a year of people coming into Alberta is about to change dramatically. You know, everything happens very quickly. If there's no jobs, people are going to come out. If there's no people coming in, the prices will fall a bit in terms of housing. But it's more uh, than just jobs that drives that migration, right? I think that's what I'm trying to say, like housing eh, and those other factors. Though. I mean, yeah. obviously, you need a job to be able to pay for it no matter where you yeah. are, right? You don't go but to Vancouver because you know you can get a job tomorrow. You go to Vancouver for the lifestyle, and you're prepared to live a little bit below your capabilities, uh, you know, you're not going to get your dream job. If you come to Alberta and you're pretty good at what you're doing, you're going to get a job that's going to be pretty interesting, right? Vancouver's a lot tougher. 
So, but that sort of makes it seem like you have to give something up if you're going to come to Edmonton. You've got to forsake that lifestyle and the climate, and it's a it's a choice of like Vancouver's up here and Edmonton's down here. Is that right? No. Okay. No. Each one has its pluses and minuses. Okay. Yes, Vancouver is friggin' gorgeous. Yeah. You know, it's also yes. gray a lot of the time. Yeah, but I, I'm still a fan. It's a pretty <laughs> beautiful city. Yeah, it is. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful city. The the negatives. It's a hard, hard place to make a living. House pricings are too high. I don't like that entitled society. I don't like what he also does in this this story is points out that their culture is it's not good for the city's culture at all. Mm. I like our culture. I like our sense of deep, deep community. I like our our, our opportunities here. I don't particularly like the location, right? I don't particularly like the very long, cold winters. Yep. I love our sense of community. Each one's got its checks and balances. But I think the interesting thing to remember is not always to have huge envy about Vancouver. So Vancouverism is what it is. It doesn't mean we need to copy them and and long for the same thing because it's not all it's cracked up to be. You know, even if I was able in my senior years to have a 250000 or 300000 a year lifestyle, I don't think I'd move to Vancouver. There's something about... This article also helped me define what is that weirdness about Vancouver. Mm. There's something weird about that place. I, I, I wish we had Edmonton on the water. Wouldn't yeah. that be great? Yeah. But maybe if I had 200000 a year to spend here, I could have a hell of a good time. That's true. <laughs> Even in the winter. Well, very interesting article. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what the responses are to this, what other people write, and if they agree or disagree. And I don't know. Maybe you yeah. or I will riff on it and talk about Edmonton a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And not just from a boosterism point of view. You know, I, like I like what we just talked about, that there, what we forget is is pluses and negatives to all the places you can live easily, yep. which are within your own country. Yeah. All right. So you brought some cheese for us this I week. I brought some cheese. I finally remembered. What'd you get? Because we are mac and cheese. From that country. Some Filipino cheese. Think of it as being a tropical cheese, and it helps you to understand the taste. A tropical cheese. What does that mean? It's a little drier. It's a little mm. more crumbly. Um, and what is this cheese called? I wish I knew. Mm. I failed to ask my wife this morning. We'll look it up. <laughs> it's, but it's, a, it's sort of the standard cheese of the Philippines. They like to have it with a lot of, of stuff that maybe you and I, not just with crackers and things, but, but it's... Uh, hmm. How would you it, describe it? Is it a dumb, this is a dumb question. Is it cows also, dairy? I believe it is. Yeah. Um, I so mean, it's... The rem- Dutch influence. Yeah, it's reminiscent of a of a cheddar, but it's a lot is uh, it's more crumbly, like you said, sweeter? and a little drier. Hmm, there's a bit of a sweetness to it, but it's kind of like an old cheddar in terms of uh, flavor. It's like, yeah, it's like a moist old cheddar, mm-hmm. but crumbly. And can you see somehow, or am I just projecting too much that it would work in a hotter climate? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's still cheese. It's still cheese. I'm not sure I want to eat cheese when it's 35 degrees outside. <laughs> That's Boiled. not true. I like cheese all the time. <laughs> okay, man. Mm, very tasty. Well, next time around, we'll we'll have a, a new budget here in Alberta to talk about. We'll see if Jim Prentice is going to be the great savior. Will, does he have a vision, or is he just going to play it safe? Next time on Mac and Cheese. Check us out at macandcheese.ca. I'll try to remember to bring some cheese next time again. <laughs>